hi everyone uh for those of you just joining um my name is andrew and i'll be co-moderating our final panel for today with arian uh who's also a part of voice out at cornell um so for our final segment we will be speaking with cornell blockchain whose organization works closely with the initiative for cryptocurrencies and contracts at cornell uh, known as ic3 they also teach a class uh, cs 1998 at cornell to introduce undergraduates to blockchain and are affiliated with a range of blockchain projects around the world uh, this semester they are in the process of creating their own dao utilizing blockchain t technologies um, and now if, if he's able to become a co-host now, I'll, I'll pass it off to Arian. Um, was he able to be made a speaker yet? Um, no, I, I don't see him here, but Arian, if you're here, I checked your account, but I don't see it. If you're here, you can just, um, request to speak and then your invitation will come. As soon as I see that, I'll add you, but I was unable to see. If you want, we can wait one oh. more minute, Andrew. Um, yeah, our, uh, let me just check to make sure Nick and Mac are both here. Are you guys able to unmute? Yeah, yeah, I'm here. I'm here. Okay, awesome. Well, I guess um, we, we can get underway with things, I guess, then, and then um, Arian will, uh, will be back at the, at the end of your um, talk. But um, I guess Nick and uh, Mac, do you guys want to introduce yourselves and get off with uh, some of the, the conversations that you had prepared? Yeah, that sounds great. Uh, thank you. Thank you to boys and Andrew for putting this all together. Uh, it's really great to be here. Um, my name, so my name is Nick Stam. I'm a junior at Cornell, uh, majoring in applied economics and management and minoring in computer science. Uh, I've been involved in the crypto space, uh, just learning about the space and interacting on Twitter since 2019. And I joined Cornell blockchain the following year where I'm now serving as president. And I'll let Mac introduce himself. Hi, guys. Um, my name is Mac Nagar. I'm also a junior at Cornell University. I'm really amazed kind of of what Voice is doing, and I really resonate kind of with their vision uh, for sustainability and finance in the future. Um, I am majoring in industrial and labor relations with a minor in computer science. Uh, I've been into the crypto space since 2014. Um, and I can see kind of how some of the infrastructure is developing in a way to enhance uh, financial sustainability in the long term. Awesome. So um, I know that you guys want to talk a little bit about um, some initiatives and projects that you're seeing in the uh, crypto and blockchain space, uh, such as things like Crusoe and Planet Watch. Um, do you guys want to talk a little bit more about that and how those um, initiatives are spearheading uh, sustainable change um, in the in the industry? Yeah, yeah, we're definitely, I think Mac's going to get to those projects uh, after me. Like, I just wanted to basically acknowledge some of the misconceptions that I've seen after teaching my uh, our class here for this is our second semester doing it and I think just there's a lot, a lot of misconceptions perpetuated by uh, the media about blockchain and sustainability so I just want to start by basically uh, saying that blockchain 
is not inherently bad for the environment. It's not unsustainable. And the word blockchain is essentially just a unique way to store data. And it has nothing to do with uh, the consensus mechanism. It's not a consensus mechanism proof of work that has been is been, has been under attack by a lot of people who uh, are critical of blockchain because it's they view it as unsustainable. But really, blockchain is just a data structure. And if any of you were here for Goon's talk earlier, Avalanche is a perfect example of a chain that is that uses a completely different consensus mechanism to proof of work. And it has been really successful. Uh, it's able to process transactions as well as other chains uh, using proof of stake. Uh, Cardano is one of them. And Solana also uses their own consensus mechanism. So I think really separating the proof of work algorithm that uses uh, tons of electricity and is, uh, in my opinion, uh, wasteful that Bitcoin and Bitcoin and Ethereum use, I think separating proof of work from just blockchain and all of the great projects that people are doing in the space is really like the first step that I want to address in order for getting people in the right mindset uh, to talk about blockchain uh, with a with a sustainable lens. So now I'll let uh, I'll pass it off to Mac, uh, who's going to talk about some projects that I think are really interesting, uh, Crusoe and Planet Watch, that uh, are using blockchain for the benefit of the environment and have a really cool way of going about it. Thanks, Nick. And um, yes, to reiterate those points, the number one concern that most NFT and blockchain users have had, um, as done by a report by McKinsey, has shown that people are most concerned about the environmental impact of how those blockchains work. Uh, obviously, that's an extreme kind of uh, barrier to entry for a lot of people and also makes the technology seem as unsustainable for the future. Uh, to give a little bit more background on the proof of work consensus mechanism, uh, blockchains are decentralized in a way where there's a bunch of different nodes or computers storing the blockchain for everybody to agree on kind of one consensus, they need to have these consensus algorithms uh, that make sure that everybody's kind of on the same page. The way that uh, Bitcoin um, has kind of done that is through proof of work. Proof of work is basically by your computer solving complex algorithms. This takes up a lot of electricity um, and can ultimately result in kind of widespread um, energy uh, usage. Uh, this is commonly kind of transitioned into a theme of uh, kind of a misconception that any blockchain technology is uh, synonymous with energy inefficiency and unsustainability. We kind of want to reiterate that uh, blockchain technology is not synonymous with unsustainability and energy inefficiency. An example of this is Crusoe Energy. Um, you can find Crusoe Energy at C-R-U-S-O-E energy.com. Um, we've actually at Cornell Blockchain um, set up recruiting pipelines with Crusoe Energy. What Crusoe Energy is, is basically a platform for oil miners and oil rigs 
to transmit their um, unused oil fracking energy and convert it into uh, electricity to power Bitcoin miners. So commonly there's 63% of CO2 emissions um, that are kind of like when you do oil fracking are are just put into the ozone. Um, Crusoe is able to actually reduce all of these uh, excess wasted uh, energy by capturing that energy and then having actual on-site Bitcoin miners to convert that into electricity um, and power kind of these computers to do these algorithms and help uh, stabilize the the proof of work blockchain. Uh, Crusoe has done a tremendous job and have actually acquired a, a decent amount of Bitcoin uh, doing this. Um, and now they are actually looking to allocate uh, their book, their Bitcoin and cryptocurrencies in different ways. Uh, but the what's interesting, particularly about this project, um, is that the founder, whose name is Chase Lockmiller, uh, was actually an ex-Polygon Capital and Jump Trading um, uh, employee, uh, which are commonly kind of hedge fund oriented for-profit organizations. He kind of wanted to reorient himself towards a more sustainability focused organization, uh, which was resulted in Crusoe. Um, additionally, uh, Crusoe is using their energy not only to power Bitcoin miners, but also different things like big data um, technology, such as AI and neural nets. Uh, so this is just one way kind of uh, the proof of work algorithm can be used in a different way. It's basically trying to optimize the way we use uh, wasted energy. Uh, the second project I wanted to talk about is something called Planet Watch. Planet Watch can be found at P-L-A-N-E-T-W-A-T-H uh, 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 dot U-S. Uh, what Planet Watch is, is basically a organization that provides uh, different users uh, air quality sensors. The users can plug these air quality sensors into outlets um, outside, in their homes, etc., and the users will actually be rewarded cryptocurrencies called planet tokens uh, to actually just have uh, the network be built out on air pollution. Air pollution actually kills 7 million people um, each year. So Planet Watch wanted to utilize cryptocurrencies and blockchains as a way to incentivize uh, kind of broader uh, democratized data of air, air quality. Um, if you set up a sensor in your home or outside your home, your kind of data is instantly uploaded to the blockchain and you are incentivized to actually have that sensor running um, and you are rewarded these planet tokens. These planet tokens are interesting in a way that like other cryptocurrencies, they're relatively volatile. Um, it's at 25 cents right now um, if you look on CoinMarketCap, uh, but it was just at 45 cents a couple of months ago. Um, Hopefully, Planet Watch is aiming to continue to expand its network through these incentives. Um, and it's kind of a virtuous cycle uh, because as the kind of data is uploaded onto the blockchain, you're not only helping uh, different companies and, and organizations understand the air quality around uh, their locations, but also the individual themselves is financially incentivized to contribute to the democratization of air pollution data. Nick, um, do you want to speak a little bit more on how Cornell Blockchain is specifically 
trying to help uh, financial sustainability in the space? Yeah. Yeah, that'd be great. So like Max said, uh, I think one of our, one of the strongest efforts we take at Cornell blockchain is to create pipelines, uh, recruiting pipelines to these sustainable projects and companies within the space. Uh, I think personally, the uh, blockchain industry, uh, a lot of people have difficulty finding jobs or opportunities, especially from the undergraduate level. So what we do as a club is connect our members and just anyone at Cornell with these companies that we have relationships with and we try our we try our best to really cultivate relationships with projects that are aligned with are in the blockchain space but aligned with a sustainable mission and i really think that's one of the best ways we can give back because we're cultivating uh an incredible group of young talent and i think a lot of these projects all they need to get off the ground is uh some like motivated and uh, some great talent. So I think that's one of the ways that uh, one of the ways, especially we can give back to these projects in the space. Uh, Also, we, as a club, we have made it a point to work with Ethereum uh, proof of work blockchains, blockchain alternatives. So for example, last semester we worked on a, arbitrage bot a cyclic arbitrage bot uh, and we started on ethereum and one of the reasons we we actually switched over to avalanche was for us it made financial sense because ethereum transaction fees were are extremely high and it was cutting into our profits uh and also just avalanche is on a uh more sustainable more sustainable consensus mechanism. So it was sort of a win-win for us. We got to uh, get off of Ethereum, get rid of those transaction fees, and also um, help out the, or kind of do our part in supporting the alternative ecosystems. And that's what I, that's one of the things I really think is great about these uh, Ethereum alternatives is that often they are uh, less expensive in terms of transaction costs. So there's almost an incentive, there is a financial incentive for developers to move their projects over. And since it's very easy with the um, Ethereum developer ecosystem, it's very easy to move your project over to uh, Avalanche per se. So I think that's, uh, that's what really excites me about these Ethereum alternatives. And hopefully they incentivize Ethereum to uh, Ethereum to switch up their algorithm and hopefully provide a more sustainable and cost-effective solution. Now, lastly, uh, sort of what we're doing today is I, I view our education efforts to the Cornell undergraduate population at a large through our class and the conference as probably the most important aspect of our club. Because providing this education, cutting through the noise that the media often portrays uh, the blockchain industry as, like like we've said, unsustainable uh, and bad for the environment, and there's a, that there's a lot of energy inefficiency there, I think providing an education to the Cornell community 
uh, not only for the sustainability of the space and allowing uh, college students to get a blockchain education, but also uh, ensuring that they're more intelligent and can really understand when there's a news article that says blockchain is uh, is polluting the polluting the earth. I think hopefully that we give the students enough resources where they can recognize the difference between proof of work and just blockchain in general and be able to be able to make their come to their own conclusions about which projects are sustainable and which they should support in that way. All right. Apologies for the technical issues and getting speaking permissions, but just to jump in, uh, my name is Orion. As Andrew mentioned, I'm one of the co-moderators for today from VoiceDAO and uh, you know, was listening to the talk throughout. And just to give a summary to our audience uh, who's been listening in, you know, Cornell Blockchain has talked about a bunch of different things, such as Crusoe, uh, which uses wasted energy to power Bitcoin mining, big data and AI, Planet Watch, which is about democratizing pollution data through home sensors and incentivizing users with tokens, and uh, Cornell Blockchain giving back by cultivating Cornell students to help with Web3 projects, edu educating Cornell students, the wider body, on uh, understanding blockchain past the surface level um, in terms of how sustainable it actually is, and working on a bunch of different blockchain projects like SIGPOL Arbitrage and moving over to Avalanche. And obviously that's a very short summary, but uh, just for our audience there. And uh, you know, our format for the rest of the session is a panel Q&A and then an audience Q&A, and then we'll wrap up. So I will pass it off to Andrew now for our first Q&A question. Yeah, thanks, Arian, and uh, thanks, Nick and Max, for uh, that the really great um, the, the great uh, talk you had about all those different projects you're working with and what you see as like the future of the space and, and what you got in the pipeline. Um, so our first question is is pertaining to uh, two of the projects that you mentioned, Crusoe and Planet Watch, and basically, um, I just wanted to know: are, are these initiatives and others that you're following? Um, do you think they're scalable? And is is blockchain as a whole a viable long-term solution to combating the world's environmental crises? That's a great question. Um, I'll start off with Crusoe and then I'll, I'll go to Planet Watch because they're a little bit different models. Uh, so Crusoe is primarily based in um, Colorado um, as their like kind of uh, corporate head center, uh, but they have oil rigs across the country. Uh, these oil manufacturers have been very keen on actually having their wasted energy removed. When they do the oil fracking, they realize that they have a lot of wasted energy um, and actually results in them losing money uh, because their fracking centers are fracking into the ground for oil. Um, and a lot of the work that the frackers are actually doing uh, results in wasted energy. Uh, so on site, uh, Crusoe is able to take that wasted energy and convert it into computational power to power these Bitcoin miners. Uh, this has been relatively scalable for Crusoe's situation, uh, moving across a number of different uh, oil rigs across the United States. They don't necessarily disclose how many uh, rigs they have set up, uh, but it has been a number throughout the Midwest. Um, as for Planet Watch, um, the Planet Watch kind of ecosystem is built upon uh, this common um, method of decentralization um, and, and democratization of data uh, that has been kind of the 
subjects for many different blockchain projects. Um, if anybody is familiar with the project Helium, um, Helium is kind of a similar thing where you create, you have a sensor, you plug it into your home, and you're actually helping to build out the Internet of Things network as opposed to providing air pollution data. Uh, DemoZone is another one. DemoZone is a car data sharing thing where protocol where you take your uh, a little widget and you plug it into you, your uh, car and that car will share the data with the entire network. Um, the user has full control of the data um, and can determine whether or not they want to share that data, et cetera. And all these methods are kind of incentivized by financial rewards through blockchain. I think this method is sustainable in the long term, um, primarily just because financial incentives seem to be the best kind of uh, motivation for individuals to take active to take action towards kind of a common goal. Uh, however, I should note that as the network expands, um, this is a also kind of crypto native concept. Uh, but as the network expands, the rewards paid to individual users becomes less and less. So that means that as more people incorporate sensors into their homes, they get paid less and less. And uh, this is just a means of we're trying to expand the network. As the network gets bigger, uh, you'll receive less incentives. So when the network is really small, you receive high incentives. When the network gets big, you'll receive less incentives. If this was applied to a sustainability kind of uh, mindset, that would mean if the environment is bad at first, uh, you may be financially incentivized a lot to help improve the environment. As the environment gets better, then you will not be as financially incentivized to improve the, the environment. And I think that kind of philosophy um, has large ramifications and can be uh, largely uh, implemented in the future. Yeah, just to add on a bit to what Mac was saying, completely agree uh, with everything he was saying. I think in terms of blockchain being a sustainable solution long term, uh, I think it definitely is not the only solution. Of course, I think there are a lot of things that need to happen outside the world of finance and blockchain for our for the entire environmental problems to be addressed. But that being said, I think uh, my biggest takeaway from what Mac just said is that the blockchain is really great at uh, facilitating uh, essentially micropayment transactions that would never have been possible before. And it can do that automatically. So you can program that into a project. And that, that sort of eliminates this free rider problem that I think a lot of um, a lot of environmental projects suffer with outside of blockchain is that there's not that financial incentive or there's no uh, sustainable way to implement that into the project. So I think that's where blockchain as a whole provides a lot of value to these projects is that it can reach a wide network and then facilitate very, very small financial rewards, but it can do that on a consistent basis uh, with, without, uh, without much difficulty. Thanks for that, Nick and Mac. Those are really interesting thoughts to hear about how, you know, all these different projects and even um, how, for example, tokenomics halving can actually help with the sustainable aspect of what these projects are trying to do. Um, 
you know, looking towards the future of how these blockchains are trying to scale, um, obviously, you know, like we're trying to work around, for example, Cruz is working with proof of work and using that to, to its advantage in that sense. I'm curious with Ethereum's planned move, at least from proof of work to proof of stake, uh, will that, do you think that will majorly solve the environmental shortcomings or is this merely a step in the right direction? And, and towards that, do you think we replace one problem of sustainability being proof of work with another problem of some somewhat less democratic validator selection, proof of stake? Yeah, that's a that's a great question. Uh, I think, unfortunately, Bitcoin uh, will never change their consensus algorithm from proof of work. Uh, it on uh, just for, without looking at it from a sustainability perspective, it doesn't make sense for Bitcoin to to move, and I don't think they'll be able to, uh, in terms of just the community they have. Uh, that being said, with Ethereum's move is uh, slightly is more of a interesting interesting problem because Ethereum has all these competitors that are more sustainable and more cost efficient for the users. So Ethereum most is kind of forced to do this in terms of its competition, uh, which is a good thing. Uh, and that, and I think, I mean, it, it'll take a while for ETH2 to uh, work out all its kinks and it has taken a while. So uh, who knows when it will actually come out, but, I think that's a, a great step, uh, a, st a really huge step in the right direction in terms of sustainability, just because when Ethereum switches, it will be uh, much more efficient. And I think that will enable a lot more projects to go onto Ethereum with using like a fraction of the electricity or power. Uh, so I think that that would be a very, very strong step in the right direction for sure. Uh, and then to mention your, just to address your last question on terms of the trade-off between sustainability and decentralization, with any project in the space, there are always trade-offs between uh, how decentralized the project wants to get. Um, Binance is a great example of this in that they are, they have their, uh, the Binance smart chain uh, that's not completely decentralized, uh, but people haven't really, um, that hasn't been a significant barrier for them. So I think it is possible. I don't think sustainability and decentralization is a one-to-one -one trade off. I think you can have both sustainability and decentralization, but I think that trade off should be addressed if, if the project deems it, deems it necessary. Yeah, to kind of, piggyback off that point um when you talk about bitcoin specifically um there's very little chance um of bitcoin moving to proof of stake even though technically it can uh just because of the politics surrounding this mining committee uh, a community um in terms of trade-offs uh you commonly have these aspect when you talk about blockchains there's kind of a the so-called blockchain trilemma uh, which is decentralization versus scalability versus security. Uh, and whenever you have one, you kind of lose out on another, uh, which is interesting to the sustainability aspects because 
um, you may consider like sustainability to fit into that scalability kind of uh, narrative. Uh, so if you increase decentralization, are you losing scalability and de and sustainability? Um, I think that when you have kind of these different consensus mechanisms, uh, there, like Nick said, there will always be trade-offs. Uh, there's different kind of blockchains that you can do more research. It's kind of out of the scope of this Twitter space. But for example, Algorand has a pure proof of stake um, approach to consensus algorithms um, that is different uh, than other proof of stake algorithms. And Algorand is completely a carbon neutral blockchain. Um, so there's different kind of ways that you can achieve uh, consensus mechanisms. But I do not think that uh, necessarily decentralization or security um, has to come at it to an expense of scalability and sustainability. Yeah, those are some great thoughts on, on the, the uh, decentralization of things and, and switching over from uh, proof of work to proof of stake and, and the plausibility of that for uh, some of these already established um, blockchains. And so um, the next question that we have is in relation to DeFi um, and, and blockchains applications with that. So I just want to get your guys uh, thoughts on the future of DeFi. I know you guys, um, I'll talk to you a little bit about your thoughts on this um, uh, off call, but how, what are your thoughts on the future of DeFi and how close are we to switching over to an entirely uh, decentralized finance system? Um, I can start. Um, so DeFi um, has, I'm sure you have, you've seen people on crypto Twitter um, throughout kind of the news talk about how DeFi may be the next Wall Street. Um, and this is really interesting concept to think about. Um, however, it doesn't seem um, totally possible yet without a complete like infrastructure rebuild. Um, there's a lot of kind of intermediaries um, that have been trying to engage into the new crypto space. Um, and one of the things that um, Goon and Asa Diego were talking about earlier about how institutions are going to be continuing to come into the financial space. Um, there's probably going to be, I think, a meshing of the two worlds together. Uh, when institutional money enters the space, uh, this propels kind of the space forward. Uh, but the technology also enables uh, the space to move forward. So I think they can join hand in hand. I don't think there's necessarily um, kind of an, an overarchy of uh, one one institute one kind of mode of financial infrastructure over the other. Yeah, I completely completely agree with that. I don't. Uh, I think it's again really it's su super ambitious for DeFi to attempt to kind of uh, upset and uh, completely take over uh, centralized finance, uh, but. I just think the their the centralized financial institutions have been around for so long that they will find some way to remain relevant uh, within within this DeFi movement, and I think it'll be more look more like a fusion of the two. Uh, and again, I think we will always need centralized on ramping tools. Uh, 
so right now, like you couldn't, you can't just trade cash for Bitcoin. You need to use like a Coinbase or a Gemini, a centralized company to get onto these platforms to then use a decentralized exchange or a decentralized lending platform. So it, do, it doesn't seem like those centralized on-ramps are going away. Uh, and it seems like, like Max said, as more institutional money enters, enters the space, they will be able to have more influence on how DeFi projects progress and which, which DeFi projects uh, honestly become successful as they'll be the ones investing and using. So I think this fusion is more what, is more what we could see in the future. Uh, and it'll be interesting to watch as everything unfolds. Another kind of um, interesting point uh, piggybacking off that is there can be a kind of revolution within the DeFi space in general. That doesn't necessarily mean um, taking market share away from the financial uh, current infrastructure. So one thing that's that people can look into on this call is um, kind of the, the transition between DeFi 1.0 and DeFi 2.0. Uh, so DeFi 1.0 is things like Uniswap. DeFi 2.0 is um, things like um, Ohm um, and and kind of those communities. DeFi 1.0 is where uh, kind of each individual owns their own liquidity, and DeFi 2.0 is where the protocol owns their liquidity. Um, that DeFi 2.0 is actually moving towards kind of less decentralization in the way that the protocol owns its own liquidity. Um, and when you think about like banks in the traditional monetary system, um, that's that's also similar. Uh, so when you get to these kind of um, protocols that are more um, custodial and in, in owning their own currencies, uh, like the OM um, trying to be its own kind of uh, digital currency, its own monetary based currency, uh, then that's like where institutions from the traditional finance world can step in. Uh, another kind of thing to think about, it's not only in finance, uh, but in the VC world, you see a ton of money pouring in from people like Sequoia, KKR, um, a bunch of different VCs that are really, really kind of influencing the way crypto protocols and projects uh, kind of grow in the space. Um, and that's all traditional based money. So if you have a large traditional influence in how these crypto projects grow, uh, then there's always going to have some traditional kind of influences. And um... Hi, everyone. Unfortunately, the Twitter servers crashed and we weren't able to finish our panel with CU Blockchain. Um, but thank you, everybody, for attending. If you'd like to find out more about Cornell Blockchain, you can visit uh, cornellblockchain.org, CU Blockchain on Twitter, or Cornell Blockchain on Instagram. Again, thank you for coming, and hopefully you'll be, stay tuned to what Voice and CU Blockchain are up to in the future.